This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. Coming up... When they are comfortable to grow and perform, you'll get the higher levels of performance that people want. Those conditions that leaders create for that is so important. Were you aware of your own leadership shadow? And did you care? And shadow's such a great metaphor, isn't it? We all have one and we can adjust it, we can control it. Someone once said to me, if you're not sure what to do, sit still. I use that quite a lot. Love that. Hi, I'm Lizzie Bentley Bowers and welcome to Leadership Letters, a place where we spend time in conversation with leaders, offering you food for thought, inspiration, tools, techniques, ideas and thinking through the insights and experiences our guests share. Our guests also share their leadership letter, sparking more leadership conversation based on who they've written to and what their letter says. Passionate about developing talent and culture where people and performance can thrive, our guest today has more than 20 years experience working in HR roles across a range of industries, including financial services, healthcare, energy and tech. I'm delighted to welcome the Chief People Officer of Exit Infrastructure, Carrie Cushing, to Leadership Letters. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Great to be here, Lizzie. Thank you. So let's kick off, if it's OK, as we always do. When did you first become aware that leadership was this thing? Um, and I'd love to hear how that influences your actions or indeed your expectations now. I think probably quite classically, I was influenced by parents, probably particularly my dad. I always saw him as a very respected leader. That was something that was very clear. Dad and I would often talk about his work. He seemed to do quite a glamorous job. I mean, he worked in the Ministry of Defence, um, but he was very respected. I was quite lucky. I got to go into my dad's work occasionally. I'd meet his people. And he had quite a high rank in, in the role that he did. And what I really remember was the respect that people had for him. And, and that I was like, oh, I was always quite interested in. To me, he was just my dad, right? But as I got older, I remember in my teens, I remember a few times being like, wow, he's something special here. What's he doing? And then that's a bit of a something about me. I like to understand what's going on there. Why is that happening? So that respect, care for people, he was very thoughtful about, you know, I remember little things like he would never fly business class and have his team fly economy. He made he made the argument, we all fly business, but or we all don't go. For quite a hierarchical organisation, he was really quite um, liberal in his thinking and, and that made him probably a little bit different. Um, so he was one of my earlier influences and, and certain teachers, people that just seemed to have themselves together. I found them quite aspirational. Um, and that's something that I think a lot about as a senior leader now is how do you project confidence? How do you use your energy to pull people with you? Um, and I definitely saw that in certain teachers and also a little bit maverick. I quite liked the, the little bit creative. I mean, I had an English teacher who let you make up your own words as long as you wrote the definitions, which I was thought, cool. gosh, that, yes, I was like, oh, that's quite interesting. I, I love that. Make up your own word. There's something about transfer of ownership that really feeds into the respect and the two way respect in that. Right. There's no right answer. You can be equally as right as me as long as you can justify it um, and that you have equal levels of 
power and control in the relationship. Um, yeah, he was quite a special, a special guy, Mr. Ashworth. I remember him. Yeah, Mr. Ashworth. What a fabulous thing to be teaching alongside your subject. Yes, he was very understated. He was a supply teacher. Oh, gosh, this is going down memory lane, Lizzie. That you know, <laughs> and he was an older gentleman. Um, and so, at first glance, you'd be like, oh yeah, here we go. But he was. I still have my English book from year eight um, because of his teaching. That's the one book I've kept because it was different, because he was a little bit different. And to your point, you know, he he made you feel, you know, that you were an equal to him and that you could participate in the process. And I think as you transition into the world of work, having that equality of relationship, I think is really important in leadership Feeling like you can contribute is really important. They both, your dad and Mr. Ashworth, sound ahead of their time in that. Yeah. It's certainly, I agree with you. It's absolutely the direction that leadership has been going and continues to go and hooray for that. Yeah. How do you see that playing out now, Carrie, in the things that you say and do to foster that for yourself? For me, it's definitely been about authenticity so uh, I think if I reflect on all of the people that have influenced me as leaders I've I've always gravitated to them for something but actually that something is very authentically them and I think definitely as I have grown as a leader I have learned to embrace myself and who I am and bring that to work and I'll be very honest with you you know probably about 10 years ago I got a whole bunch of feedback about we want to hear more about you and who you are and I think I'm a very uninteresting person which probably isn't what you should say on a podcast but um I've worked hard to like share who I am a bit more um and I think I definitely you know reflect a bit on how dad would be and and you know dad was a very ballsy kind of guy you know he mm. he had he was very clear and happy to be who he was um and I think I have probably just embraced that a bit more as I've got older and you know more confident in who I am and what I can bring and playing myself to my strengths I mean that's that's really the heart of leadership isn't it making sure that you're bringing your strengths into situations that really need your strengths um and so yeah, I, I would definitely say it's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, but, you know, that's that's probably how it works for me. And there's so much I want to dig into there already and playing to your strengths. And I think one of the things that can happen in leadership and certainly perhaps early in our leadership journeys is that we're not that aware of what our strengths are. There's something about really knowing them in order to play to them. What's your, yeah, what's your experience of that? How did you get to know what your strengths were so that you could leverage them when you needed them? Yeah, probably making lots of mistakes is uh, okay. is the first thing. Um, I mean, I think I think most of us, by the time we get into the world of work, you've got some sense of, you know, where you're strong. You know, the UK education system gives you a report every certainly every year, right? You get exam results. You know the the subjects that you're good at. You know where your interests lie from a content perspective. So I definitely went into the world of work knowing, you know, I'm somebody who likes to get things done. I am a complete finisher. I am a people person. I do like to spend time with people. But I think probably it's the fact that I have always tried to do lots of different things. So I'm quite interested in lots of different things. So as a result, 
I have moved around a bit in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think constantly challenging yourself, putting yourself in new situations forces yourself to be um you reflect again don't you you it's almost like I suppose actors actresses they, they read a new script so they learn what they can do with their dramatization for example and I think it's a bit like that as for me anyway constantly putting myself in new situations force me to test you know what am I good at what am I not and make new learning so um I used to have a CEO who would do podcast stuff like this. And and one of the questions he would ask at the end of every session is what's your superpower? And I remember, and this is probably, I'm going back about five years now. And, and I remember saying to him, I think my superpower is joining the dots. Um, and that's something I've realized more later in my career that because of the breadth of what I do, actually joining the dots and working in HR, you get, you see so much stuff that actually you do need to link things together for the organization for employees and so I definitely see that's been one of the strengths I've noticed later in my career that that is a skill that I find quite easy to do and I actually really enjoy and I think it has lots of value in the workplace so yeah newness difference different situations it's been probably the key for me. And I hear that leadership strength of courage and bravery in there in choosing to go to new things. I don't think of myself as a particularly brave person, but um, I think people close to me might say that I am. And I've always, and we'll come on to talk about it in my letter, but I've always stepped forward to challenges. And I've always seen myself at cause, not effect. So what can I do to make this different? And and, and never, I'm not one to say, it's not my problem or that's them, not me. I will naturally start with, well, what can I do from my position to make it different? And so I do think that then becomes a bravery because if you're never, if you're not detracting yourself from an issue, if you're always inserting yourself and saying, how do I make this better? Then by natural fact, you become a bit braver, right? And it gets easier the more... The more you do, the easier it becomes, I have found. But yeah, I would never have said I was brave, but you're probably right. And it's so helpful, I think, for people to hear what you're saying, because going to something new in order to, and you described it beautifully, that actually by putting yourself out of your comfort zone, ultimately you create new, you end up with a whole load more comfort zones. Yeah. And I'm here to tell the tale. And I'm here to tell you that I've benefited from it. That's so useful, particularly, I think, early in your leadership, where when we initially get comfortable and it's and you're looking for that courage to take that step into something new. I have been lucky that I am naturally interested in lots of different things. So it does make me step forward. But, um, you know, I have a bit of a phrase at work, which is, well, if it doesn't work, we'll learn something. And particularly in the latter half of my career, have have seen it, you know, like I left a company I'd been at for 15 years and moved into Exit Infrastructure. And I said, this is going to be an exciting adventure. We'll see where it lands. And um, and that's a little bit more of the mindset that that I use. And actually, I find it quite freeing, right? Things don't need to be perfect. As long as you learn, um, then then that's all good, you know? 
And you said something earlier about projecting confidence and how it made you feel when there was someone in front of you who was projecting confidence. I love what you've just said there, because projecting confidence isn't only about what you know, it's about projecting comfort with what you don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things I think as leaders, particularly in this day and age, saying, I don't know, saying, I'm not sure, or saying, I made a mistake, and here's what I've learned, is really important. I think um, some of the mental health issues we see at work is that people have such a fear Mm. of getting it wrong and what's going to happen and who's going to blame me. And, you know, nobody is perfect. Um, And if you're not making some mistakes, you're probably not stepping out of your comfort zone enough to grow. So mistakes are the currency of growth or mistakes are what happens before growth learning from them is the important piece and the most enlightened leaders that I work around definitely just have a comfort with yep we're going to get some stuff wrong and as long as it's not the big stuff and as long as we learn from the mistakes that's okay it's actually quite a privilege as a leader now to be someone who can say to people earlier in their careers you know it's going to be okay you know and and if we make a mistake it's all right we'll learn something and we'll we'll be better tomorrow if we do make the mistake you've got to make people feel comfortable because uh, when they are comfortable to grow and perform, you'll get the higher levels of performance that people want. Are there any things that you know that you regularly say or do that create that safety? I will regularly say, I often find myself saying to my team at work, um, here's a mistake I've made, or I will uh, naturally or proactively say, yes, that was my fault. Here's Mm -hmm. the error and here's what I've learned. I think the other thing I do is when we, you know, notice errors or mistakes from others, you don't make a big deal about it. I um, acknowledge it. Yeah, okay, we would have liked that to have been differently. But what have we learned here? How do we fix it for next time? Um, it's the little things, you know, and and that's often the way with culture and driving the right kind of environment. It, every little thing counts. And there's such skill, I think, in making big things little. Mm. When you were talking there, I just got this sort of real sense of this bandwidth in which when someone's sort of right outside it, having a big worry and a big panic and they're sharing something with a leader that has gone wrong, if that's received in that in that calm space... Yeah. And it really gives them, it invites them to do something else with it. And it sounds like that's a place you operate in. Yeah. And I think you said the word calm, Lizzie. I think it's really important that you really believe it as well, that you yeah. really believe that it's okay to make mistakes. Because I think there's no point saying the words if your music doesn't line up, right? So there's no point me saying, yeah, it's okay if you make mistakes. You've got to really believe (laughs) it, right? And you've got to be authentic with it. And I think that's probably a learning I've made in the latter half of my career. Um, The early phases of my career, I hated making mistakes. And I remember a leader telling me that, oh, you really hate to make mistakes, don't you? And I was like, well, yeah, duh, I've just spent university not making mistakes to get the highest scores I can so you want to employ me but of course then we flip it on its head don't we when people come to work and we start to say yeah you can make mistakes and it's okay and and so of course it takes you that moment to shift your mind uh, or many years in my case to, to shift my mind to say yeah it's all right we'll we'll learn something we'll move on we'll be better tomorrow. But back at Mr Ashworth 
<laughs> I am sorry. <laughs> no, well, it, but isn't that wonderful though? That what he, what he was saying was that over here you need to get these things right, and we do get fed a lot of that in our system. Be right. Yeah. And then, as you say, we go into the world of work and say, well, now be comfortable with being wrong. Yeah. Um, but don't be wrong all the time. And of course, that's a lot to navigate. So, yeah, those conditions that leaders create for that is so important. So mindful of time, I wonder whether we could turn to your letter, Carrie. So I have written to the leaders who were not like me. Um, and I think you've probably already picked up, Lizzie. I'm a big fan of growth and learning. And you know, when I was asked to come on this podcast, I was wanted to think about where have I made the most learning? And from some of these leaders, it was it was where I made the most learning in my career. So to the leaders that were not like me. Thank you. It feels strange writing to you when at certain points in our working together, I was desperate to not interact with you because you made me feel uncomfortable, self-conscious and sometimes less valuable. But after time and reflection, I want to say thank you. Thank you for the learning. Thank you for helping me become who I am today, the leader I am and the person I am. You taught me many valuable lessons. Firstly, patience. I've always been keen, eager, or as one of my favorite leaders called me, relentless. You taught me that there was no point in becoming frustrated at the lack of pace or progress. There are often great reasons for a slower pace and frustration or pushiness was just a waste of energy or even place undue stress on a relationship. I have learned that relationships are critical to me. They are what I enjoy, where I believe the true heart of value creation and self-fulfillment lie. And the learning that patience is a way of enhancing, preserving and growing relationships has been a real asset for me. Secondly, you taught me the value of managing my emotions, or as one of you termed it, needing to have a better poker face. You were right, but boy, did I not want to hear that at the time. As leaders, we cast long shadows, and these shadows only get bigger as we elevate through an organisation. Learning early from you that intentionally managing although not concealing my reactions, has been incredibly valuable to how I cast my own shadow, not to mention my well-being. Noticing, recognising and purposefully choosing how to respond has served me well, particularly through high-pressure moments. Finally, you taught me that I was stronger than I ever knew. You helped me recognise that I was able to learn through times of challenge, you actively grew my resilience. Working with people who are just like us is comfortable, easy, relaxed. Working with people who are different to us is challenging, thought-provoking and at times stressful. It is unrealistic to think we will always work with people like ourselves. But in the early days of my career, I thought there were two types of leader, good and bad. You taught me that that wasn't the case. You also taught me that you need the resilience and flexibility to work with all types of people. If I were to summarise my learnings into one sentence, I think it's fair to say I didn't always enjoy working with you, and I'm sure you felt the same. But what I have learned is that from discomfort comes growth, and the lessons you taught me have helped me become who I am today. However, 
there is one thing I am curious about. And if we were to meet face to face, I would ask you two questions. Were you aware of your own leadership shadow? And did you care? I didn't have the courage to ask at the time. But thanks to you, I now do. I hope you're happy, healthy and successful, whatever you are doing now. Best wishes. Thank you, Carrie. I wonder if we can start with the with that wonderful phrase, leadership shadow. Yeah, leadership shadow is something I talk about a lot and have heard it talked about before. I guess it's another way of saying impact. As a leader, you know, it's a privilege to, to lead. It's also not necessarily role specific, but if you're leading, it's highly likely you'll have the ability to impact lots of people. And I think that's what casting the leadership shadow is. And I think it's a it's such a nice way of thinking about it, because, of course, shadows can be long or short, depending on where mm-hmm. the sun is. And, you know, for me, what I very much noticed as I was starting out at work was that leadership shadows really impacted me. I was drawn to the people that had great shadows, that shadows really worked for me. And I I did withdraw from people whose shadows I didn't enjoy. And those people didn't get the best out of me. And I didn't give the best of myself. And I think where this work or where this thinking kind of leads me to is I'm very conscious in almost every interaction I have to to intentionally choose the shadow I want to cast Um, and now that might sound very Machiavellian it 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 really isn't It, it starts from a position of what do I want this person to be thinking and feeling as we go through this interaction? And it's, you know, how how are they feeling today? Do I understand that? Have I just come from a really yucky, sticky interaction? And do I need to centre myself again before I can move forward? And I actually find, and I know I say in there about well-being, it really helps my mental state. If I'm actively choosing how to be then it helps me think because I'm obviously going to actively choose to think probably very positively warmly you know all of those good things it helps my mind say yeah okay we're in that state even if I've come from something very difficult I will put that in a box and choose a particular shadow that I want to cast for the the next interaction somebody said to me at work recently you know you're really polished Carrie and I'm like well that's that's probably where it comes from because I'm I'm choosing I'm intentionally recognizing where I am and where I need to be and the most important thing is what does the next person I'm talking with what do they need from me doesn't doesn't particularly matter what I need it's what do they need and that's leadership for me that's leadership that's how you pull people towards you and help them believe they can do stuff they only ever dreamed of. Um, That's my role in it. And shadow's such a great metaphor, isn't it? Because in the way that you've so beautifully described there, we all have one and we can adjust it. We can control it. We can shift where we're standing, how we're standing. Yeah. And ultimately, if we're working with somebody who doesn't ever change theirs, we've got the opportunity to step aside and change so there's you know there's a mutual opportunity to keep changing the relationship with the shadow in order to really get it serving everybody well yeah 
exactly exactly and it it works for everybody that um you know and I think it also plays to the fact that you don't need to get it right all the time yeah. you know I've plenty of things I've got wrong with my leadership shadow in my career um and it's only through playing with it in the sense of trying something intentionally trying it rather than just hoping you know think take 30 seconds before a meeting and say okay yeah what do I, what do I need to bring here it's often energy it's often positivity it's often a perspective that people want to hear but then also notice what what are people giving out to you and what might they need you know which is why always starting a meeting with how are you what's going on for you at the moment it's just great fact finding you know how okay I can use that to adjust my style with you today to get the best out of this conversation and and I think that fluidity of shadow is important to recognize you're not stuck in one style um, mm. and nor should you be um, any of us and that it, it really connects to what you said about patience as well I think there that that aspect of leadership that's about what you don't do or say and when you don't do or say something as well as when you do. Hmm. Someone once said to me, if you're not sure what to do, sit still. I use that quite a lot. I think um, a lot of, you know, my work is about judgment, is about assessing what's happening here and how do I need to navigate through an organisation through periods of change or, um, you know, et cetera. And somebody who's built a bit like me is desperate for you know keep going keep churning keep doing keep delivering but actually the times of stillness are as important as the times of activity um and that's taken me a long time to learn my mother says it's since I've had a, a child that I've become a bit more patient because I can't force it all through but th there's definitely like a mellowing but having that patience to understand just because you're ready to cast the right shadow doesn't mean the next person is ready to receive it. So also timing is important. And and just having that ability to know it will all play out okay, but it doesn't have to play out okay right in this second. You can't always force it. It feels like a post-it note on the screen moment. If you're not sure what to do, sit still. Sit still. Love that. Can I ask you about managing your emotions, which feels like it connects to that sitting still? You talked about managing your emotions without concealing your reactions. I'm really curious about that and that relationship with authenticity. Karen Eber was on a previous podcast and she talked about personal doesn't have to mean private. Mm. I think I hear echoes of that in what you've just said. Yeah, I definitely feel like I'm, I've swung a bit as a pendulum on this topic. So when I started out in my career, I was very transparent and I think it's very easy obviously all your peers are same level as you like you're all starting out together so and you're down the pubs and whatnot doing things that good 20-somethings do um I elevated fairly quickly um into small senior roles and I I think as a way of managing the fact that I was a little bit younger in these roles I then closed off and would definitely have more of a a mask um because I wasn't really sure how to do that personal private kind of balance I think as I've had feedback and as I've tried to play with it a bit more um I have intentionally shared stuff so 
little things like I would start meetings with what I did at the weekend. I talk about my husband. I talk about my son. I would talk about, you know, God, it was a mess. You know, we got totally wet and muddy in the rain or whatever. But it, I don't need to be this polished person all the time. And I think that then gave me ability to, you know, share more personal stuff. You know, I lost my father two years ago, who, as you've heard, is very important to me. And I talk a bit about that at work and how I've handled that. Um, and so I think it's been a gradual thing. So definitely was more open as I started my career, became a lot more private and probably more recently in the last five, seven years, been more open it took me a while to figure that out and actually it took somebody saying to me do you know people want to know a bit more about you I was like really I'm not that interesting but it's not about that it's about people just want to know who you are you know I think that's true about us all um it's been a surprising journey I didn't expect to go through that but but actually I, I have also found it not only valuable, I think other people have found it valuable, it's been more helpful for me that I probably show up much more authentically at work because people hear about, you know, not just my work life. Um, and I think I think people want that from each other. If you were to give advice to somebody who's trying to do a bit more of that, do you have any recollection of how you went about that? Because it feels like another one of those moments of courage of going outside your comfort zone in order to create a new one. I definitely didn't obsess about it. So I didn't get like planned about, okay, in this meeting, I'm now going to share. I did ask questions like, oh, really? What what might people want to hear about? And um, and it was little things like if I'm in a meeting, often like do a check-in with the team. Hey, what'd you get up to at the weekend? Who did what? And I would make sure everybody on the team said something. But I would never give myself permission to share what I did. And people would be like, no, no, Carrie, we want to hear about you. And I'd be like, oh, really? Okay. Uh, so then little things like that, I would say, okay, at my weekend, I did this. Uh, I wouldn't speak first because I would think that was pushing myself forward too much. But um, so I definitely didn't obsess too much. I asked some questions about what would be interesting to hear about. And then I, I really did just try and be more aware of when if other people were sharing stuff that I would just note that and say okay is there something here I can share that if this person was a friend I'd share and that I feel authentically enough to share it at work but I think it's I think it's about playing with it and finding mm -hmm. your way and not beating yourself up too much and it's so easy to forget what you've just said around Ask the question, take the guesswork out, all that yeah. energy going into what should I say? Which bit should I be? Ask some questions. You'll save yourself a lot of thinking time, a lot of energy, and you won't be guessing. Yeah. I think that's that would be a top tip for me. If ever anyone's giving you feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, never just say thank you. Always find a question to ask because you will leave that room, virtual or otherwise, and you will want to know a bit more. Yeah. And so even the good stuff, you know, tell me when and what specifically and how did it impact you? And do you really understand the language people are using with you? Does it mean the same to you as what it means to them? Um, and you will get much richer, much richer data if you just ask a few questions. So I think the question is your friend. 
I want to ask you so many more questions, but we're going to be out of time, Kerry. Questions being my friend um, and our friend. So the last question, one we always ask. We always ask for a recommendation. We've covered a lot of ground. Um, and it may be a recommendation of something to read, watch or listen to related to something we've, we've covered, or it might be something that is your go-to for something else. But is there something that you'd share with leaders listening to this that you'd highly recommend they pay some attention to? Yeah, gosh, so many. Uh, and I know we're I know we're running out of time. I mean, it's interesting. I read a lot for myself, but then I read a lot for others. So what would I recommend to other people? And I'm a huge fan of very practical uh, things that I think early career people might want to read or learn about. So the if I'm allowed to give you a couple of recommendations, Please these do. are all very, very practical. Um, so you've referenced Karen Eber already. Mm-hmm. So I was very lucky to work with Karen for a number of years. She is amazing. Um, her book is out now. So A Perfect Story. Um, that is an exceptionally practical way of helping leaders understand storytelling. And I think storytelling is so, so powerful. So um, I've loved that, just finished that. Um, and then a book called um, The Bank of Me, uh, which is by Jane Sparrow uh, from Culture Builders. Um, super practical book about how you, I mean, some of this is about how you cast the right leadership shadow, how you engage people, how you build that kind of trust both one-on-one, but then within organizations. It's such a practical um, book. Um, Those two, I would just highly recommend. And um, yeah, I've loved reading those recently. Fabulous. Thank you. It's a new one for me, that second one. I'll look forward to reading that one. Carrie, thank you so much. A leadership lesson in the form of a podcast that you've just given. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time and for all those insights. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Before we go, A reminder that our sister podcast, Towards Leadership, is where we can take a deeper dive into some of the aspects of leadership that Carrie has raised today and where you'll find more resources in the form of our read, watch and listen to recommendations, as well as tools, techniques, reflective exercises and thinking to support and challenge you as a leader. Whether you've been in the C-suite for many years or are just starting out in your career with an eye on your future as a leader, there will be something in there for you. Join us by following along wherever you've downloaded this podcast or you can find us at towardsleadership.com. This is Leadership Letters, the podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. See you soon.